episode are we on? It says right up there. Oh, look at you. Okay. I already put it in. Hello, and welcome to episode 55 of Till Death Do Us Part podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Hi. Hello there. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing real good. We've had a very exciting week. Oh, it's super exciting. It has been. Lots of fun stuff happening personally and professionally. and It's busy with yeah. kids. I'm sure no one can relate. Those no of one you, out there. Those of you breeders out there that have, have some of those things. Yeah, we have one who's graduating children. from a certain grade that requires some sort of graduation. Yep. And there's a lot of things that are happening these last couple of weeks. And Can't wait. College graduation. Isn't that crazy? I wish. <laughs> yeah, we right. have like eight to 10 more years before but that's when up. When did you have kids? When we were 16. Happens. Could you imagine if we were that age? Well, we'd be done already. We would be done and we would not be together. Why not? You really think if we would have met and had a kid at 16, we would still be married? Statistically? Right. Absolutely not. Exactly. But it's possible. It is possible. That's yeah. true. But oh. I don't know. I'd like to think we would still be together. Or there's the opposite where you get together and you start having kids in your mid 40s. I'm telling you, man, you're you? 43. You're in your Why prime. Why do you want another baby so you're bad? You're in your prime for birthing right now. I'm not in my prime for <laughs> mental health. My mental health dwindles every single day and then add a baby onto that. I love you so much and I'm glad you love to procreate with me, but there are no more children Could coming you imagine out of these loins. Waking up today, you're nursing. You no, got like I wouldn't nurse again. Diapers no way. and. Mm-mm. No Gosh, way. These saggy crazy. baggies are done. Yeah. It would be formula. You know, fed is best sure. is what I would say to all those haters that would look at me weird because I'm feeding my kid out of a bottle. There you go. You know what? It doesn't matter if you choose to breastfeed or you formula feed. Your kid is being fed. That is all that matters. There you go. Public service announcement. Okay. Well, enough with that because people are probably thinking, get on with the show, MacArthur. Yeah. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to get you off on a tangent. <laughs> All right. Here's a shout out for one of our 11 listeners. It's called Absolutely Love. And this is from M8710. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. I am so happy I found this podcast. I love the dynamic between Daniel and Melissa. I really enjoy their intros where they talk a little about life and Daniel does his factoids. There you go. Okay, see? so we have one person who enjoys our banter. All right. Daniel is really funny. Okay. Do you, you hesitated. You it's not say just Daniel yes. that's funny, people. Daniel has all of a sudden become the star of the show. I'm not that funny. She's hilarious. I'm happy to share him with you, but I am the funny one in this relationship. You would share me? Well, I don't know. We'll see. A couple more years. We already discussed the pineapple <laughs> uh, phenomenon. All right. Let me finish this. Finish. The two bounce off of each other really well. We're bouncy. Yeah. In more ways than one, we yeah. bounce off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel's reactions are also great and spot on. Also like that Melissa finds lesser known cases. I look forward to this podcast every week and I'm bummed that I already listened to all their podcast episodes or all their past episodes. Might have to listen to them again. Thanks for the great podcast. Thanks for the great review. Thank you. That That's perfect. 
That was really, really sweet. And we're still so humbled by the reaction we're getting and by the reviews. And we're just loving meeting all of you and talking to all of you and getting to entertain you. Absolutely. But moving forward, please try and shed more of your praise onto her (laughs) than me. (laughs) I'm totally joking. She needs it more than I do. I need praise more than Daniel. She does. She needs the motivation more than I do. No. Because clearly I'm just sitting here not doing anything (laughs) and she's doing all the work. So if you guys would please just just butter butter her up a little bit. Stop. He's sitting here trying to get me to have another kid. That's what he's doing. No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm getting, I'm trying to sit here to get you to practice having another kid. Practice makes perfect. It does. Oh, gross. All right. Daniel, you got some factoids for me? I'm going to go over funny things people say after adult aerobics. Oh. <gasps> And I want you to... Is this from personal experience? No, this is a lot of this is from the internets, the interwebs, BuzzFeed, stuff like that. Okay. Um, The Google machine. And I want you to determine if this is stuff that we say married or is this single? Oh, I like it. Okay. Single meaning aerobics classes that you might have all over the place. All right. Let's go. Has the dog been watching the whole time? (laughs) Married. That, and then we have to decide if we have uttered these sentences and words. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, the dog has been in here the whole time. Did you lick my butt or was that the dog? <laughs> that was the dog. She hurt her leg, so um, she can't get on the bed anymore. That's the advantage of having a huge dog because they, oh. they just sit there. Anyway. Okay. This means I'm going to pass your class, right? <gasps> Not married. You don't think so? No. What about cheating? Oh, cheating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, this is, these are funny. That's this adultery. is stuff people wrote adultery. in. Okay. That was good. Where's the remote? <laughs> Married. That's every time. Have you seen, is the remote on your side or my side? I don't know. You had it last. What episode of Stranger Things are we on right now? <laughs> Can you turn it back up now that it's over? Uh, yes. uh, someone wrote in, good game. That's funny. High five. Did they high five too? I assume so. Yeah. I'm going to say dating. Yeah, dating. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Married. (laughs) Oh, this has never happened before. Yeah. Married. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is... (laughs) Dang it. This is sad. Ugh. I'm having a hot flash. Someone wrote, and boom goes the dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's married. These are things guys would say, I I feel. Yeah. Um, Did you feel it? Um, Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes what? Married or oh, that wasn't a, I was your speaking of, of these uh, are things people have written. Oh, right, right. I thought you were asking me the, a oh, question. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now I'm gonna say dating. Did I get it in? Dating. Yeah, dating. I think. Yeah. When does the condom go on? No, oh. <laughs> I'm dating. <laughs> <sighs> Our wedding night. Yeah. Should I call an Uber now or married? No. <laughs> Divorce. Oh my gosh. Someone wrote, Thanks, mom. Can we have KFC tonight? Oh, that's wrong. No. That, no, that's gross. These are just funny things people wrote in. How that's much not do, funny. <laughs> it's not. How much do I owe you? That's funny. 
Married. Married. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can I go to Target tomorrow? What did I do for this? What do I get for doing this? Starbucks. Yeah. I need to pee. Married. Absolutely married. Yeah, yes, yeah. 100%. Married. Or I, I got to poop. Hold on a second. I got to poop. <laughs> I got to poop. Um, are you hungry? Married. <laughs> That's married, single. I don't think it matters. Uh, nothing because hands don't talk. <laughs> huh? <laughs> You're a pretty boy. You're such a pretty boy. <laughs> Your Yelp review was very accurate. Oh, prostitution. I think that's what they're hinting Call at. Call girl. Yeah. It was nice working with you. <laughs> I would say not married. Not married. Yeah, not married. It was nice working with you. That's That's funny. You can stay, but I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Married. <laughs> Adultery. Here's another one. Uh, nothing because I don't talk to myself. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Go team. And then high five. Married. Probably. Because you're a team. Yeah. And then you miss the high five. Like we do. Yeah, on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> Are there any go-gurts left? <laughs> Married. It's absolutely married. Kids. Yeah. Can you text our kid to go grab us a go-gurt and bring it to the bedroom door? (laughs) Did you put the trash can out? (laughs) Every Thursday night. I call that Thursday night. That is, that's absolutely married. Yeah. Because then you start getting like practical. You're laying there and you're like, okay, so... Yeah. Um, did you pay the electric bill? Did, did you? Is everything locked? Like, yeah. Did you lock the back door? Did you put the dog in her kennel? Yeah. Oh, gosh, marriage. Has the door been unlocked the whole time? <laughs> That's, yeah, married with kids. Did you hear the door close? I swear I just heard the door close. Oh, my gosh. And the pitter-patter of little feet running out of the room. Uh, brings back horror memories. Worst line ever after adult aerobics. What? Oh, hi, honey. Oh, like a kid? Because they walked into the freaking room. Oh, my gosh. How long you been standing there? (laughs) Yes, how long? It's worse than has the dog been watching the whole time. (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? Wrestling. Every, yeah. We wrestle at night for cardio. Every parent advice forum is Put a lock on your bedroom door yeah, lock and your door. use it mm-hmm. no matter what age. Lock your door. Saves a lot of awkward, teachable moments. Mm-hmm. My favorite is the knocking on the door. And then they're like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? We're putting away you wanna, laundry. You want to talk about a mood killer. Man. Things, kids kids things, are a mood killer. Things go down quick. Kids ruin everything. That's how this started, though. <laughs> No, I love our kids. I make fun of our kids, but I actually really like them. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That was really fun. It was. Thank you. You're welcome. I think some of those we've said, even the ones like, do I put the money on the side table? Yes. Yeah. um, You've actually said that to me. I've actually put the money on the side table. You have. You're like, here, honey, here's the cash. I've transferred it from my side table to your side table. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of gave me like the little rush, like, oh, I'm worth $20. Would it help if it was up front? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You give me a hundred, I'm yours. Oh, uh, we should we should uh role play. People don't want to hear this. No. Stop. Okay, okay. stop. All right. I'm sorry, we're giving ourselves ideas. Yeah. Don't listen to us. No. Me- These are horrible ideas. But if you give her a hundred dollar bill, you let us know how that works out. 
Come to us for more marriage advice. Absolutely. MacArthur Marriage Advice. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Mike. And together we host Crime Crime and and Coffee Coffee Couple, Couple, a true crime podcast. We are high school sweethearts who have been married for over 15 years. It will be 20 years this year, Mike. I mean, 20 is technically over 15 years, right? (sighs) Anyway, are you like me where you have a fascination with stories that you just know will end badly? Or maybe you're like me and you've been recently introduced to this crazy world of true crime stories and you're kind of into it. If you want to hear an interesting story, we'd love to have you give us a listen. You'll also get to know us a little bit, like when I complain about Allison not picking up after herself. Me not picking up after myself? Try the other way around, big guy. You're right, you're right. We can also be sarcastic from time to time, and you'll pick up on that pretty quickly. So grab your coffee, take a sip, and settle in. Remember, we're the Crime and Coffee Couple, available everywhere podcasts are served. Daniel. Yes, wifey. (laughs) Are you ready for my case? Yes, I'm ready. All right. This is the case of Michael and Jan Roseborough. Perfect. Do you know them? (laughs) I know Michael, but I don't know Jan. Okay. All right. um, On July 22nd in 2008, a call came into the Lancaster County 911 dispatch around 11 p.m., On the other end of the line was 41-year-old Michael Roseborough. He was calling from his home in Denver, Pennsylvania. I'm going to read you that 911 call. Please do. Lancaster County 911. I believe my wife just drowned, said Michael. (laughs) I'm sorry, said the operator. Uh, I had gone to bed about an hour and a half ago, and she is outside. And I came out and saw the lights on the pool, but, oh, God. Her shorts and shoes are still on. I came out and found her in the deep end of the pool, said Michael. Like that? Like that. Like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Okay. Is she breathing? Asked the operator. No, she's not. Is she still in the water? Asked the operator. No, I pulled her out. Oh, that was nice of her. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to try CPR on her? Asked the operator. I will. I will. Yeah. What? Said Michael. Okay, I I would I would perform CPR on you. Aww, just so you know. Thank you. If you fell in our pool, yeah. I'd pull you out. Could you get pretty, me out? Pretty quickly. Probably not. I'd pull you to the short, you know, the, the yeah. shallower end yeah. there. But the thing is you'd be giving me CPR, but you'd have your hand on my shirt. Well, you, that's what they teach you, <laughs> um, is to immediately remove the shirt. Um <laughs> you have to. You and if you have to cut it off, okay. I mean you gotta do that. Okay, we gotta we gotta do this, do Daniel. It. Okay. Okay, do you need help with that? I can give you instructions on what to do. I, I, I was a lifeguard. I know, says Michael. Not very good. I can walk you through it if you want help, said the operator. As I said, I want to get her out of the pool, said Michael. Didn't he already get her out of the pool? That's what he said. He already had said that she was out of the pool. Okay, I'll stop. Go ahead. Okay, what's that? Asked the operator. I want to get her out of the pool, said Michael. Operator, is she still in the pool? Michael, yeah. What the? I thought you said she was out of the pool, said the operator. Yeah. I, oh my God, I'm sorry. She is out of the pool. Uh, Yeah. Help me through it, please, says Michael. Oh my gosh. Okay, so she is out of the pool, asked the operator. Michael says, yes. Yes, she's out of the pool. 
At least holding her head under the water. <laughs> yeah. So he says she's she out, out of the, the pool. pool? Yes. And then he says, well, wait a minute. Let me get her out of the right. pool. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, no. Okay. So then the operator goes on to tell Michael how to perform CPR on his wife. Before starting chest compressions, Michael says he must throw up. Sure. After puking, he is asked to do 30 chest compressions, which he does in about three seconds. Wait. The operator. 30 in three seconds? Yeah. Man. Okay. So I've listened to this many, many times, this 911 call. Okay. So then the operator even asks him if he's sure he did them 30 times, to which he answers, yes, sir. But it was literally three seconds. I counted it. Okay, hold on. Let me do them. Okay, done. Yeah, that's exactly how it sounded. The paramedics get to the scene within a few minutes and take over chest compressions and try to stabilize 45-year-old Jan as much as they can before transit. Oh, my gosh. There are a lot of discrepancies in this 911 call. No kidding. Okay, so first he says, I know how to do CPR. I'm a lifeguard. Right. And then he asked her to walk him through it, which I kind of understand because if you see your loved one lying there, a lot of times you lose everything in your brain, right? It's Yeah, yeah, shock. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But then he first tells the operator that she's out of the pool. And then he says, well, wait a minute. Let me get her out of the pool. That I I mean, I suppose he could get stumbled up on his words, you know, and kind of like he's so flustered. He can't think straight. And he's like, ah, yeah. She's like, no, yes, no, I don't know. Right, like the heat of the moment type of thing. Yeah, I get it. We all do stupid things when we're faced with situations When your wife's in the pool, drowned. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) No, I I can totally relate to that. At least my drink would be up in the air, though. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'd be down in the water, but I'd keep my drink safe. Sure. That Diet Coke that I drink. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so the 30, and the 30 compressions. Seriously, one, two, three. That was it. Okay, you've said I'm fast, but I don't know if I could do 30 compressions in three seconds. I just don't think I could pull that off. Maybe when you were 23. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. According to emergency personnel on scene, Mike was pacing a bit, but never seemed to lose his composure. He was a little too casual and oddly calm. He was also talking on his cell phone and smoking some cigs. That's not good for you. Mm-mm, don't do if it. If you do it, you should, you should quit. <laughs> Once paramedics had Jan ready to transport to the hospital, Mike was asked if he would ride in the ambulance with his wife of almost 20 years. Mike declined. What? Opting to remain at home with his three sleeping children, who were 12, 9, and 6. The Roseboros also had a 17-year-old who had left for the evening. Officers offered to stay at the house till a family member arrived, but Mike once again said no, and Jan rode in the ambulance by herself to the hospital. Okay, that's very suspicious. That is so sad to me. Very suspicious, Michael. You ride to the hospital with your loved one. You ride all the way to the end. Especially if you have cops saying, we are going to stay with your kids. We are cops. Yeah, okay. We can stay with your kids. If there's no one else... And you have a twelve nine six, yeah, okay, I get it. But of course, there's going to be someone there. That's why the the emergency personnel are there, right? And that's why you have neighbors. You don't think neighbors were outside of the house, like being looky loos, seeing what's going on. You yeah, call a neighbor like, in and be like, "My kids are sleeping. I have to rush to the hospital with right. my wife. Watch my kids." Right. 
Oh, goodness. I'm so frustrated with this case. I'm already angry with Michael. Uh, Yeah. He did not go about this properly at all. He did not. No. You're absolutely right. Once in the ambulance, paramedics were able to get Jan's heart beating again, but were immediately faced with another problem. Blood began pouring out of a deep wound located behind Jan's ear. What? Something the paramedics never saw nor were informed about out on the pool deck. There was no blood anywhere around or near Jan's unconscious body. So they're in the ambulance, they get her heart started, and all of a sudden blood starts gushing out of this wound behind her ear. And they're That's like, weird. what the hell just happened? Right. We were not told that she had fallen. All they had been told was that she was found in the pool. So if you're in water, even like a tiny drop of water, you've seen it. It's or like- a tiny drop of blood. In water? Um, so that's what I meant. Yeah. Tiny drop of blood in water, it spreads out and any significant blood and it really starts getting into the water. You can see it. Oh, yeah. It turns the water pink. Yeah. Especially from a head wound. Yeah. Anywhere on your head. I mean, it's going to be horrible. It's going to bleed. The worst thing is seeing a kid in your pool with a bloody nose. You're like, get out. <laughs> I don't care. You have a bloody nose. Get out of the pool. You're going to ruin the water. <laughs> blood, diarrhea, or oh, vomit. No. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> get out of the pool. Then you got to drain it. Those uh, damn, see, kids. Nah, I just add more chlorine. Damn kids. I just add more chlorine. It's yeah, <laughs> just kill it. Disinfect it. Unfortunately, despite emergency medical personnel's best efforts, Jan Roseboro was pronounced dead at 11.57 p.m. Uh, she was all alone in the emergency room by herself. No what? one holding her hand or reassuring her that they would see each other again. Uh, Ugh. God. Michael, Michael, Michael. But there might be an excuse as to why Michael seems so desensitized and disassociated with the fact that his wife was found floating face down in the pool. Michael was a funeral director and had seen a lot of death in the last 20 years of his life. Like close friends, family. This was a small town where everybody knew each other. So he was constantly seeing people that he knew. Yeah. Their it would bodies. be it would be like someone working in a morgue or someone who I does mean, that's aut- basically it. Or yeah. someone who does autopsies. I mean right. you're obviously gonna become desensitized. If nothing else, you're gonna be more stable and calm in a situation with a right. dead body. Right. Or potentially dead body. But if you work in a funeral home and you work with bodies, you would know how bodies work. So you would know that you needed to do 30 chest compressions and it would take longer than three seconds, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would notice a big wound behind an ear. You would think. But the question remains, how had Jan ended up in that pool? Had she been drinking and passed out? Had she lost her footing and hit her head? Could she have had a heart attack? All these scenarios could have ended with Jan falling into the water. Or was it something more sinister and premeditated? Yes. And one more question. Why was Michael bone dry and not sopping wet after jumping into the pool to pull Jan out of the water? Maybe he has one of those hooks and just (laughs) drug her floating carcass over to the edge because he didn't want to get himself (laughs) moist and wet. It's like one of those pool noodles. Yeah. Like you throw out there for your kid to grab onto when they're struggling. You're like, I'm not going to jump in and ruin my hair, but but hold on to this pool noodle. What What time of the year was this? I forgot the date. Uh, July. Okay, so the pool was warm. Yeah. 
So that's not a good excuse. Because no, I mean, not. if you fell in our pool in like January, <laughs> I might go looking for a hook for a while. A Just hook. saying. Because I mean, that's, that could really, yeah, like a. Oh my God. Like something you'd pull like a fish. Oh, okay. Like so from, Michael, my, let's, okay. So Michael was not wet. Michael wasn't wet. He was dry. Yeah. So how could he have jumped in that pool to retrieve her body and not been wet? Not possible. Right. Police investigators were on the scene and began looking for clues as to what had happened. The pool area had a five-foot kitty fence around it with a gate latch that was not easily opened. You know how hard those gates oh. are to open. Okay. Those gates yeah. are super hard it's to open. It's so hard to open. I took our kitty fence out <laughs> to, you know, make it easier but to both fall our in the pool. <laughs> but both our kids could swim. I know. They I'm, could swim really, really well. I know. They're like little fish. Okay, yes. that's It's a pain in the butt. To open. You, you got to like lift and turn and stand on one foot and then it opens and latches and yeah it's it's not easy no you have to do a dance Mm -hmm. and then somehow it opens up so they were even talking about one of the investigators was stuck at the gate trying to open it figure out how to open it then another investigator who had kids had to come over and show him how to open the pool gate right the pool decking did not appear to have any signs of blood or signs of a struggle the pool area was a little too clean and tidy There was even a bucket filled with cleaning solution and a red rag floating at the surface, sitting near the edge of the pool. What? But there didn't appear to be blood in the water, inside the bucket, or on the rag. Investigators also saw a pair of reading glasses, a cell phone, and two small stones at the bottom of the six-foot deep end. The glasses and cell phone appeared to be Jan's. Interesting. Yeah, so there was no sign of blood around that pool decking. Unless it had been cleaned up. But there was no sign of blood in that cleaning solution, so. It's really hard to clean concrete. Oh, yeah. Around a pool. Oh, yeah. It just stains. You know what's strange, Daniel? Oh, gosh. Um, So much, but go ahead. Michael never once asked about Jan or how she was doing after she had been taken by ambulance to the hospital. Neither did the 30-some-odd people who had rushed over to the Roseboro's residence after finding out about Jan. No one at that house ever called the hospital to check on Jan or asked the police if they'd heard any news. A few minutes after Jan was pronounced dead, Michael was told by an officer that his wife had died and that it did not appear to be an accidental death. But Michael still insisted on telling friends and family that it appeared that Jan had had a heart attack and had fallen into the pool since heart disease runs in her family. Um, That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. So no one else asked. No one asked. I mean, okay, I'm already suspicious of him, of course. Right. What the hell happened to everyone else? Hey, what's yeah. what's up with Jan? Is she okay? Right. And if Is she I would make it, if I would have seen Michael there and been like, "Who's with Jan?" and then he would have said, "Well, no one," I would have driven to the hospital for somebody to be with Jan. Of course, that is what bothers me the most after right. this: is that she was by herself. Right. Oh yeah. That's weird. Around one a.m., Michael was asked to go down to the local police station for an interview. He told investigators that he had come home around 5 p.m. from the funeral home. Jan had been feeling feeling ill. <laughs> feeling <laughs> those eels. <laughs> Jan had been feeling ill the last few days, but was finally feeling better today. 
Michael had sipped on a few beers and barbecued some burgers for dinner while Jan played cards with two of their children while the other two children swam. Jan did not have any alcohol but was feeling well enough to eat dinner. Okay. Their 17-year-old went out with a friend for the evening, and the youngest three went up to the master bedroom to watch television until they fell asleep. During the summer months, the Roseboros had a tradition of the children sleeping on the floor in their room. It's hard for adult aerobics with <laughs> all your kids sleeping on the floor in your bedroom. I'm yeah. just going to say. Yeah. I mean, that's cute. I would do like, okay, Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays, you guys can sleep in our room. Right. But Monday, Wednesday... And Friday, I was it's trying Saturday to think of what came. Sunday, <laughs> it's mommy and daddy's room. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just because I want to fart in peace. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Around 10 p.m., Michael went up to bed and left Jan outside, lounging in a deck chair and gazing at the night sky. An hour later, Michael woke to go to the bathroom and noticed that all the outside pool lights were still on and the tiki torches were still lit. He went outside and made the horrific discovery. Jan was floating face down in their pool, still wearing the sweatshirt and shorts she had been wearing most of the night. Michael jumped in and pulled Jan out. Okay, no, he well, didn't. If he jumped in, he would have been wet. Absolutely. He then called 911 and began, began performing CPR. When asked about their marriage, Michael told investigators that they had a perfect marriage and loved each other so much. Of course. Don't they all say that? I feel like I write that every single time. He was even surprising Jan with a vow renewal on their upcoming family vacation in a couple weeks to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that a nice guy? He sounds like a fantastic guy. A vow renewal? What? Is that what you want? No. In the Outer Banks? God, I didn't even want the first wedding. I can't imagine having a second one. I know. I sound well, like too, such a brat. It, it, I it's just, too late now. Well, I just didn't. I, that was just our moment. I didn't feel like we needed to share it with everybody else. Yeah. I know I sound like a brat. Sorry, guys. I'm really not a brat. I'm actually a really nice person, but. Usually. <laughs> Shut up. Until it comes to uh, discussions like that. I know. I have very strong opinions about weddings and baby showers. <laughs> no. <laughs> you would have never thunk. Okay, let's get back to this. It's not about me. It's not. Michael and Jan had both grown up in the small and rural county of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, located in the heart of beautiful Amish country. Are they Amish? No, they're not Amish. No, but they lived in beautiful Amish country. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they had... Many crocheted blankets and quilts and fabulous woodworking. Yeah. And butter. A lot of butter. Like almond butter. And those or apple butter. Fabulous fireplaces that don't seem to run on electricity. They're magic. They are magic. How yeah. do they do those fireplaces? It's magic. It's godly magic. It is. Sometimes they have run into like gang activity in the Amish country. Have you heard about this? Um... Okay, is it those shows, those stupid Amish shows? Yeah, but it, most of them, they're just ride-bys. <laughs> Go ahead. Located in the heart of, I already said that, where everybody knows everybody, especially the Roseboros. The Roseboro family had been in the funeral home business since Michael's grandfather opened the establishment decades before. Michael's father taking over the business after the grandfather retired, 
Michael had decided in 11th grade that he would go into the family business and become part owner of the Roseboro Funeral Home. It was one of those businesses that would be passed down from generation to generation. It sounds glorious. Michael and Jan were married in the summer of 1989. After their first child was born, Jan became a stay-at-home mom and relished in her new job. Over the next 11 years, the couple would have three more children. Jan loved being a wife and a mother. She was even referred to as, quote-unquote, super mom. Oh. Jan was at every function, sporting event, and school activity. Jan was always very put together, too. Nails done, hair done, but felt the most comfortable in a sweatshirt and flip-flops. She was very down-to-earth. See, you're always put together really well. From the neck up. No, you you dress well. You put yourself together no matter what. Oh, you're sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Walmart thanks you. You're actually really good at at knowing what things should be worn, you know. I do. I like Like if you you know you're like, oh my God, I feel so bloated. I can't (laughs) wear this outfit. I had planned I'm wearing a different outfit because see how this color thing does the yeah. thing and you understand all that go ahead i'm sorry i have to wear the real Spanx and not the fake Spanx i get from target right on those days yes i know yeah i've Thank tried you, them babe. they work great i've tried them they it, do they oh my gosh tuck you right up oh my gosh you look it, like buffalo bill my boobs never look better <laughs> it's not for boobs it's not for boobs go okay. ahead okay as a couple the roseboroughs were very active in the community They would get dressed up and attend fancy charity functions and social events. But their favorite event was the barbecues and get-togethers they would host at their home, their newly redone home. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Daniel. There is money to be made in the funeral business. Oh, I... Lots of money. I absolutely can't imagine. And the Roseboroughs were doing very well for themselves. At the time of Jan's death, the business was worth about $3 million, okay. which is about $4 million today. It's sure. actually over $4 million today. Well, yeah, in the past month, probably five. <laughs> With inflation. With inflation and all, you know. <laughs> in 2008, the Roseboroughs decided to add on to their home. They added on a new wing and gave the house a complete makeover and even put in a fancy new pool and backyard area. So that pool was new. Must be nice. Mm-hmm. But Michael and Jan were very humble about their earnings and never really flaunted their wealth. They never really did. Oh, okay. All people, even if they liked Michael, they always said they were very, very humble about everything. Right. So They didn't count their money in front of their guests. No. Okay. no. All right. What Michael did like to flaunt, though, was himself. Ooh. He was a bit of a peacock, a flirt. A peacock. Neighbors and friends remember him having a very heavy pour at parties, but only to the ladies. He would compliment them on their hair, their outfits, how good they were looking. But everyone kind of let that slide because that was just Michael. Okay, so he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. And I I think we're probably on the same like wavelength that we know who this guy is. So he gets away with a lot of stuff. Yes. That normally would be probably inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're a married man and you have people come over and you're saying things to other women. Yeah. Hey. Hey, did you get your boobs Hey, Shirley. Those look amazing. Your butt looks really good in those jeans. Yeah. 
Exactly. Those are the things that he would say. And then I can't people, say that. No, right? no. I'm not supposed to. See, you I should do say a, that. I'm going to do a factoid on things that we should say and not say. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but yeah, he just kind of got away with it because his he was very fun and. Okay. Um, well, and he's I'm showing off his—he's showing off his tail feathers, being a peacock and all. Exactly, he kind of would strut his stuff, but he—they were really nice and really giving. So sure. people kind of let that part of his personality slide, and they'd be like, "Oh, Michael! Oh, Mike! You're right. so funny!" <laughs> yeah. And then the husband goes home and be like—he's like, "What the hell did Mike say to you? What did he say?" I should have punched him in the face. And she's right. like, "Yeah, right. We're going to a barbecue next weekend over there, so shut up." They serve the best steaks, though. They do. Must be Omaha steaks. So we'll just put up with it. By 2 p.m. on the 23rd, the day after Jan had died, Jan's autopsy results were in. The county forensic pathologist made the decision to shave Jan's beautiful blonde hair to her scalp. Uh But thank goodness they did because she had bruising and cuts all over her head, including that one centimeter cut behind her ear that went all the way down to her skull. Jan also had bruising on the back of both sides of her neck, which were normally found on bodies that had been strangled with a carotid restraint. Ooh. A carotid restraint is a technique similar to a chokehold, but it compresses the sides of the neck where the carotid arteries are located and restricts blood flow to the brain. It only takes seconds for someone to be temporarily unconscious. Okay. It's different than a chokehold because a chokehold restricts the person's airway. Right. So this is immediately halting blood flow through the brain. Right. So you just pass out. Okay. It was also discovered that Jan had bruising between her breasts and abrasions on her stomach and arms, which were consistent with someone being held down on their stomach. And thanks to Jan's regularly scheduled nail appointments, she also had plenty of material under her fingernails. Oh. Meaning like skin material. Sure. Mm -hmm. She had uh, collected DNA. Yes. Gotcha. Minus one fingernail on her right hand, which she no longer had thanks to a cooking accident where it was ground off. I believe it was one of those ninja food processors. Isn't that horrible? Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I don't know why I felt I needed to add that. But so like the end of her finger. The end of. of her finger was, right, okay. was gone, okay. completely right. gone. So she didn't even have a nail there. So it was, it, she's like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just Never mind. That didn't translate. <laughs> it doesn't translate to podcast. No. Yeah. So this girl had put up quite a fight. But the saddest part of all was that it was determined that Jan had gone into that pool alive. Her lungs were completely full of pool water. Jan's death was ruled a homicide. Jan had experienced multiple traumatic injuries. She died from a combination of manual strangulation, blunt force trauma to her head, and drowning. That's a lot to die from. This poor woman. Somebody really wanted her dead. Okay. Right? Yeah. And for some reason... Nobody wanted to check up on her mm-hmm. going to the hospital. Right. What's up with that? I don't we know. We already heard he's Mr. Like inappropriate guy at parties. Mm-hmm. Who's kind of like, you know, you think, oh, you know, if he drowned, I probably wouldn't care. You know, like that kind <laughs> of that kind of guy. <laughs> the things you say to yourself and not out loud like I just did. Right. Hmm. 
The pathologist had also found blood stains on Jan's hoodie she had been wearing and her bra and panties. Uh By 2.15 of that same day, investigators were knocking on the Roseboro's front door. They had some more questions for Michael. As soon as Michael opened that front door, the investigators noticed scratch marks around his mouth that had begun to scab over. And there were only three scratch marks. How many fingers had nails on them? Four. No, she'd lost a finger. She'd lost the tip doesn't, of a finger. Doesn't that leave? Oh, I see. Like it'd be. It wouldn't be the thumb. the thumb, right? Yeah, no fingers. Point. So how many fingers did she have? Fingernails. I'm not good at math. She, Daniel. Yes. So she would have three scratching fingers left. Exactly, yeah. and he had three scratches on his face. What are the chances? Exactly. I was trying to get more of a reaction from you, so that didn't work. Sorry. Did you want me to... (laughs) No, I'm just teasing you. You want me to get extra surprise? No. No. I mean, but isn't that interesting? Yes. Okay. I just thought that was really interesting. But they didn't notice that when they first came out? No. And because he had a dumb goatee that covered most of the scratches. And I'm sure the scratches were also more noticeable in the daylight. Okay. Well, he's dumb (laughs) if he's shaved his dumb goatee. No, he didn't shave his dumb goatee. He had a dumb goatee, but you could see it around his uh, lips. Okay, sorry. You could see the scratch marks around his lips, gotcha. and there were three. Maybe I didn't explain that very well. But it's okay. Investigators asked Michael to come down to the station once more for questioning. <laughs> yes. Okay. Investigators asked Michael to come down to the station once more for questioning telling him that his wife's autopsy had come in and her death had been ruled a homicide. And his reaction was... Okay. When Michael was led into the interrogation room, he was only read his Miranda rights, but was not placed under arrest. He did choose to speak to the investigators without an attorney present. That was stupid. Investigators asked Michael again about what had happened that night. He immediately asked, Am I a suspect? Michael was then asked about the scratches around his mouth. He told them that his young daughter had scratched him while they were playing in the pool. Mm -hmm. But the daughter that he chose to use as his scratch alibi bit her nails like all the way down to the quick. She didn't have any nails. So he picked the wrong daughter to use as his alibi. Convenient. Mm -hmm. Okay. Without a confession or physical evidence, they had nothing to keep him. And Michael left the interview and went home. As he was leaving the room, he said, I didn't do this. Just like that. That was his didn't voice. Didn't do this. Didn't do this, guys. On July 24th, less than 48 hours after Jan had died, police were issued a search warrant for the Roseboro's property. When investigators arrived, they were shocked by what they saw. A party. A house full of people. (laughs) Are you serious? Kids running around the pool area. Friends and family swimming in the pool. Okay, hold on. I'm assuming that this was Michael's family because I don't think Jan's family would have partaken in a party at the area where she died. Okay. That's so weird. Everyone would have known that his wife is dead and drowned in the pool. Yeah, they're swimming in a death pool. Nobody doesn't know that. Yeah, they knew. Okay, so think of friends of ours, wife mysteriously dies, and they go, and then the husband says, hey, um, I'm going to have a pool party. You guys want to come over? Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, yes. That yeah. is in such bad taste. And then we can swim, taste. 
and lay all over the around the pool and that'd be great. Yeah. Well, it's in such bad taste, but then we also have to remember that this family, their business was a funeral home. So maybe so? they just didn't have that part of their brain that tells them that this is wrong. It's not that. I'm saying who the hell shows up to that. Oh, yes. That's my yeah, point. exactly. Oh, I know. I've already assumed that they're weird. I'm talking about the people <laughs> that would actually attend a party like that. Yeah, I wouldn't go to that party. I would be busy. Mm-mm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, um, I'd yeah, be like, busy so do you want us to rent you a backhoe? And then we'll just push dirt into that pool because that's a death pool. So there's no need to have it anymore. No, you could not pay me enough to no. go to someone's house where the spouse just died. No. Much less swim in the damn pool. Exactly. What the hell is wrong with people? And kids were running around the pool deck and it possibly held evidence. And so everybody's running around the evidence. You know what? But it's on the police too because it's not like they made it a crime scene or like roped it off or anything. Yeah. But they didn't have a search uh, for it. What would be really bad luck is if while they're there, one of the kids like slipped and fell and hit his head and fell in the pool. Yep. That happens all the time. Yeah. After asking everyone to leave, crime scene investigators began spraying luminol all over the pool deck, and nothing lit up. There was no blood found on the pool decking. But in this area of the U.S., they get weather. I don't know what that is. Like crazy storms. One of those crazy storms had passed over Lancaster County the day after Jan had died, dumping inches of rain and heavy winds. And then the next day, there was a party going on with people in and out of the pool and water splashing everywhere. Yeah. So that blood would possibly be rinsed away. Yeah. And pool water is full of chemicals. Mm-hmm. So if you're splashing chlorine water, I mean, it's pretty low percentage. And but they it's didn't. Still right. Has, and it, it yeah. never said that it was a saltwater pool like we have here. Either way, saltwater, yeah, it achieves the same thing. Oh, it does? If you really okay. want to get into pool maintenance, I could talk about mm, it. But anyway. No. <laughs> um, pool chemistry, you're going to be splashing like really diluted, basically bleach water mm. out of the pool constantly. So anything like that is solely rinsed away. If you have deck drains like we do, it all washes away. You can wash all your sins. And murders. Pool, and murder. Well, that's a sin. <laughs> that um, is a sin. Away from doing, the pool. Thou shalt not murder thy neighbor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Try not to. Um, or wife. Have you ever heard of luminol? Yes. Do you know what that is? Yes. Okay. Luminol is used in forensics to detect trace amounts of blood at crime scenes. The chemical compound of luminol reacts with the iron in hemoglobin, so blood. Is it only blood? Doesn't it react with other things too? Yeah, I'm going to get into that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, good question. Well, you asked if I knew. The chemical exhibits a bluish glow when sprayed evenly across an area that might have trace amounts of blood, but the glow can only be seen in a darkened room or by an ultraviolet light. Oh. And the glow only lasts about 30 seconds, but the bluish glow can be seen in photos. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So that's why they do that so they can then take pictures of a potential crime scene with the luminol glowing. The only drawback to using luminol is that it reacts to iron and copper containing compounds such as bleach, horseradish, smoke residue, and fecal matter. Oh. So if you want to get away with murder, just clean the blood up with bleach, put a little horseradish on it, blow smoke on it, and or defecate in that area. So easy peasy. Huh. It was discovered in 1928 by a German chemist, H.O. Albrecht. Oh. Yeah, Ach, I don't right. know. 
Oh, cracks. Yeah, I don't know him. Um, well, it well, was in 1928. That's true. How could that's you true. know him? So it was discovered that the blood brought out the luminescence of luminol, oh, so the iron. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in 1937, German forensic scientist Walter Specht mm -hmm. began using and studying the effects of luminol in the detection of blood at crime scenes. That's cool. All the way back to 1937. Wow. Good job, Germans. <laughs> <laughs> The investigators started thinking, well, maybe Jan had been beaten inside, yes. the, inside the home and then carried or dragged to the pool area and then thrown in the pool. Mm -hmm. The team sprayed the inside of the home and there wasn't any trace of blood inside the home as well. There was no blood hmm. anywhere. I wonder if those 30 people that came over all took a little space in that house and cleaned it. That is quite a conspiracy. I just thought of that. That's, God, that's a lot of people that would have that's to agree. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of people to keep a secret. You can't even, get, like the you moon couldn't even get 10 people to agree what day of the week it is. That's and you want 30 people to agree <laughs> to cover up a murder? That's true. I just thought of that. Mm -hmm. It's possible. There is still no physical evidence to tie Michael to Jan's death. And really no circumstantial evidence either. But Yet. highly suspicious. But highly suspicious. Michael decided that day that it was time to lawyer up. And the media also announced that Jan's death had been the result of a homicide. Uh -huh. So the media was getting in on it. Here's something interesting. Police did a canvas of the surrounding neighbors trying to find out if anyone had seen or heard anything unusual that night. The neighbor directly behind the Roseboros remembers being outside in her backyard around 9, 10 p.m. and distinctly remembers not seeing any lights on in the backyard of the Roseboro home. Huh. So it was black. It was pitch black. Right. This neighbor thought that strange since their backyard was always lit up like a Christmas tree with outdoor lights landscape lighting, and tiki torches. But on this one particular night, the yard and pool area were dark. Well, how else are you going to get away with something if it's all lit up? Boom. Mm -hmm. It needs to be dark. You can only do things like this under the layer of darkness. We only do dark things in the dark. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Later that same day, an anonymous caller phoned into the Lancaster County Police Department with some information on the Jan Roseboro death. This person told police they needed to go talk to a woman by the name of Angela Funk. Angie was Michael's most recent mistress. What? what? Oh, mm -hmm. here. Okay, now. Here, here we here, go. Here it goes. All I'm right. about to take you on a little bit of a ride. So, okay, first of all, um, her last name is Funk. Yeah, that's, and, that's a bad last name. And she has the title of Mistress Funk. <laughs> Right? Mistress Funk. Yes. Okay. This has got to be good. All right. So I read that everyone in Michael's family and some close friends knew that Michael was this big old player and had multiple women on the side during his marriage to Jan. Some even say that Jan knew and put up with it for the kids. Ugh. How is that helping the kids? It's not. Okay. Here's my question again. Okay. How... Do people have time? I don't 
No. How is that possible? I don't okay. know. Are we missing something? I don't have any time. And and you guys know, obviously, this is what we're doing. And then we have jobs and you have kids and you have stuff. And it's right. like we We'd, need tw- we, 25 hours a day wouldn't be enough. One more hour would be fine. No, it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't be enough. True. How but. the hell do you have time to cheat? I don't know. I mean, I if keep... anybody could could lead us down that path or tell us how how do you have time to cheat, please let us know. Yeah, I've tried to think how <laughs> I could get a mistress on the side. Uh, and yeah, um, you know, no, and you need money for that. I would assume so. Yeah, you got to wine and dine your little side piece. They're not going to do it for free. No, no, your wife's not even going to do it for free. <laughs> Okay. It's getting expensive. Intrigued, a quick phone call was made to an Angie Funk. When asked about a relationship with Michael Roseborough and when it had ended, Angie's response was, I didn't realize it had. What? So they were still, they were still together. They were still entering into aerobics classes (laughs) together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Angie was asked to come down to the station for an interview, but she told investigators she couldn't because she was headed on vacation to Ocean City, New Jersey, with her husband oh and two gosh. kids that very night. Oh, my gosh. Guess who followed Angie to New Jersey? The cop people? Yeah, the investigators. Mm-hmm. Hell, yeah, they did. Angie was brought in for questioning. She was super annoying during this initial interview. I watched the interview. Oh, I could only imagine. And she kept saying, I don't remember or I don't recall. If she talked like that, I would push her in the pool and drown her also. <laughs> oh, wait, she's the mistress. Okay, sorry. But yeah. But what finally got Angie to talk was the investigators informing her that she had not been his only piece on the side. Okay, hold on. Let me let me try and put this all together. Okay. So the funky mistress <laughs> is also married with she, kids. With kids. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so she that, comes from a line of Amish family. Stop. No, I swear. Are you serious? Yes, I swear. She herself was not practicing Amish anymore, but she grew up in the Amish culture well, and faith. She was excommunicated when they had the power turned on. <laughs> so Okay, so she has time outside of her husband and children. And job. And job and vacation. I, to, I don't know. To Ocean City. Ocean, Ocean Spring. Where the hell was it? Ocean City, New Ocean Jersey. Ocean City. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Michael has tons of time also, and not just with her, right? Yeah, he has to take care of his family as well. All right, let me get it. Let me finish this. Do it. Okay. So Michael had had multiple affairs, and there might have been another hookup while they were seeing each other, while Angie and Michael were seeing each other. So Angie was not special. They never are. No. So this made her irritated and pissed about the whole thing. It put her into a funk? Yeah. Put her into a funk. Yeah. Yes. Angie and her husband lived on the same street as the funeral home. Oh, my gosh. And Michael and Angie would see each other around the neighborhood and in the local convenience store getting their morning coffee. You know what they would say every time they drove by the funeral home? (laughs) Oh, God. What? Uh, People are dying to get in there. Yes. That's exactly what they would say. Yes. Yeah. Every time. They would smile at one another, have pleasant conversations about the weather and local government. But things took a turn when out of the blue on May 29th, 2008, Michael called Angie at home and asked her out to lunch. 
She accepted, but quickly realized that a lunch out in public in such a small town would not be wise. For the next week, the two would talk on the phone, email, and text constantly. They would talk about how much they were enjoying each other's company. When, but they're just talking. Mm-hmm. So, And eventually, Michael and Angie were telling each other how much they wanted to be together and began planning a way to leave their spouses and take their children and move away. Sounds awful. Starting a whole new life together. This was all within seven days they started talking like this to each other. They still hadn't even slept together. Okay. But yeah. I know this is very they analytical. They still haven't even shared a meal. So they're talking about combining all these kids, leaving their significant others, and that to them sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds awful. Like, hey, you take your four kids. I'll take my five kids and we'll- No, two. I know, I'm, being, I'm being oh, ridiculous. Oh, okay. Sorry. And and then we're going to run away from our spouses and we're going to move into a cool little place with our 14 kids combined and then it's going to be awesome. That's horrible. I started sweating more See? just thinking about I doing know. that. I know. That's what that, I'm here for. Uh, that sounds awesome. Horrible. I'm here to help you sweat. Ooh, thank so, you. Okay, so, but my thing is, is that they hadn't even shared a meal together or like really hung out. So what if he, you know, chews with his mouth open or has horrible breath or, I mean, you just end up not being attracted to each other after hanging out. What if that happens? So you're suggesting they haven't met? No, they really haven't met. They would but see each other. But this is a small town. How could they not have seen no, each other? No, I mean, they haven't like hung out. Uh, they haven't breathed on each other yeah, yet. Yeah, they haven't like made out or anything Just yet. They me. would see each other in the mornings getting coffee and like, <laughs> hi. She looks good from far, but far from good. Oh, boy. But then they would just talk on the phone and email and text and stuff. Okay. According to Angie, the texts and emails were up to 40 to 50 a day. Who texts 40 to 50 times I don't a day? Know. People that have no life. But but they're busy. They got all the kids and the spouses yeah. and the pool and the parties. I don't know. And something's got to give. The so, barbecues. Yeah. Something's got to give. So it's either your other marriage, your kids, or your job. This podcast is interrupting my job coming up of trying to prep just to cook something, barbecue something for dinner. So how do they have so much time? I don't know. Okay. So they became infatuated with one another. Just texting. And this infatuation was something different than any other affair Michael had had. He wasn't just desiring Angie sexually. He actually wanted to leave his wife and his life to be with her. In his emails, he would write like, we've got to be together. We're going to be together soon. You know, trigger words. Okay. He's really good at texting. Or she's really good at texting. Dang. By June 5th, they were already saying, I love you. And we're planning on finally being alone together in the next week. Okay, so this reminded me a lot of the last episodes that we did with Alan and Candy. Because they just kept talking about having having an affair. So the fantasy just got bigger and bigger. And it went higher and higher up on a pedestal. Right. Okay, but before these two people, so Angie and Michael, before they could have sexy time, Angie had some rules that Michael must adhere by. It's always about rules, right? Oh, Michael needed to quit smoking. Oh, see. Yeah, quit smoking. That's gross. Angie wanted him to drink less. Okay, you know, maybe five beers instead of six. And she liked his goatee, so she never wanted him to shave it. 
See, Gross. like you love no. that you keep saying, I really want you to have a goatee. No, no. I think goatees are not very attractive. <laughs> okay, so Michael quit smoking, drank less, and kept his new goatee. That's but he really didn't do. he really didn't quit smoking though, because remember he was smoking and pacing while That's, they were working yeah. on Jan's body. So liar. He most, lied to you, Angie. That, most people that quit smoking, it takes quite a few attempts to mm, quit smoking. Yeah. It's not like, okay, I'll quit. So means she he just means he didn't smoke in front of her. Right. Yeah. Angie also needed Michael to leave Jan first. If Angie had left her husband first, she would have nowhere to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I read some of the emails and texts in this book that I'll talk about at the end. And Michael really liked to quote Bon Jovi and Aerosmith lyrics to her. It was kind of his secret power. <laughs> he would like take songs. Yeah, he would quote him. And then I was thinking, all I would be quoting is like, dude looks like a lady. Yeah. um, (laughs) Just funny stuff. (laughs) Loving an elevator. Does that that work? Quoting? Quoting like music lyrics from Bon Jovi? No. Quote some Monty Python in The Office to me and I'm golden. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Some Life of Brian. Yeah. Let's do it. On June 8th, 2008, in a vacant apartment that Angie managed in Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, Michael and Angie had adult aerobics for the first time. All right. On the floor. Well, that's normally where aerobics are done. Of a used apartment that hadn't been cleaned yet. Oh, that's that's, uh, gross. mm. The couple also banged in the funeral home. Of course they did. One time even bumping uglies in the parlor where they hold wakes. I wonder if there was a casket in there. I don't know what a wake is. Oh, a wake is like a viewing, like you're viewing the body. So the viewing room. That's, yeah. What's the parlor? It's the burgundy velour room. Sure. Yeah. I wonder if there was a casket. That's all I kept picturing so when I pictured kinda, them they're, banging. They're kind of into that. I don't know what that's called. but that's Voyeurism? A, no. No, it's a no, thing. no, no. Like not they, voyeurism. It's like people that like to do it in cemeteries. Ugh. Gross. Okay, but that's what this is. They're in I just a keep thinking of funeral like home. Dirt. This is even worse. Well, I just think of dirt and rocks. Up no, my booty. I don't mean the actual. I'm talking about the location. Oh, is like like you park your camper near a <laughs> near some. No, like your pop a tent. It's it's almost like devil worship in a way. Oh, like you're, you know gross. what I mean? Like not devil worship, but you know what I'm saying? It's like kind of. It's uh, the macabre. Yeah, or, and so that's the location is more of the turn on. I don't. But, I mean, look I at don't what know. I didn't saying. read that. So they're like, okay, well, let me let me go on. Okay, they also did it at a monastery located outside of Denver, yeah, Pennsylvania. See, okay, there you go. So this that's place weird. was founded in 1732 as a Protestant monastic community of celibate brothers and sisters. Wow. That is quite a title. That's gross. So they're purposely... They purposely went and did it there because it was a monastery. See, that's what I mean. Okay, look it up. Look up that word. There's a word, you're absolutely right, where people get sexual gratification from not only doing it in public, but doing it in places of worship. Daniel's looking it up right now. I'll just continue on with the story. And they did it a few times in his SUV. This was all within 10 days of that initial invite out to lunch. Over the next few weeks, the couple were making plans to get married on the beaches of California or Fiji. Maybe they should get married at Disneyland for the kids. They were living in a fantasy world is what they were living in. Yeah. 
Oh, God. Could you imagine getting married at Disneyland? I know a number of people that have. I know, but that sounds awful. It's also a great way to separate yourself from um, large sums of money. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And you're not even guaranteed to stay together. Disneyland, marriage, no. Well, because it's and the don't go on place. your honeymoon at Disneyland, guys. Come on. Go to Disney Unless World. Unless you already have kids. Oh, yeah. If you want to take your kids on a honeymoon, that's right. cute. But no, go to Disney World. Don't go to Disneyland. Is there a name for that? No. Dang it. All right. So I guess the word I was looking for was a fetish for basically funeral homes, churches, stuff like that. Like that's a... It's a fetish. Sexual fetish. I'm sure there's an actual word. I can't find it. But anyway. All right. Doesn't matter. Well, no thank you, Google. Jeez. No. All this while, Michael was still planning a surprise vow renewal for Jan on the beach. Man, he's a player, huh? Yeah. He'd even hired a minister and invited close friends and family to the celebration. But Michael never told Angie that any of this was going on. In early July, Michael had to tell Angie that he was going away for a week with his family including Jan. But he told Angie that everybody in he and Jan's families were going as well. So he was talking the trip down, telling her that it wasn't anything special. Angie never knowing that Michael had planned a surprise vow renewal for he and Jan. So this was to take place in August, which was like a week or so after she had been murdered. Right. So this never actually happened. Michael and Angie promising one another that they no longer were sleeping with their spouses and the love was gone, only remaining in a relationship for the children at this point. Both of them were not sleeping with their Okay, so does Angie know that Michael's planning a vow renewal? No, she had no idea. Right, Right. she had no idea. On July 22nd, the day of Jan's death, Michael and Angie had met up at an apartment where the tenants were in the process of moving out. At this romp, they had a couch or a table to choose from. Oh, okay. Michael and Angie arrived separately to the apartment building around 1.30. They ate lunch and then hung out till around 5 p.m. When Angie says hung out, she meant that Michael took his skin boat to Tuna Town. Ah, many times. Yes, many Mm -hmm. times. Okay. But she did not remember anything that they had discussed or talked about that day. They just banged. Angie did remember that Michael did not have any scratches around his mouth. So it wasn't very memorable for her. I think she's just being elusive. I think so too. They left the apartment separately around 5 p.m. and drove the 45 minutes back to Denver, Pennsylvania, chatting on the phone for 36 minutes of that drive time. They they, had just left each other. They cannot get enough of each other. So weird. Conveniently, Angie could not recall what the conversation was about during that phone call. No. Michael went home. And a call was made from the Roseboro's landline to Angie's cell at 5.45 p.m. That phone call lasted 26 seconds. 11 minutes later, Angie sent Michael a text. He answered back one minute later. Two minutes later, Angie responded. Three minutes later, Michael texted back. At around 6 p.m., Angie answered back. Michael did not answer that text back, Mm -hmm. but Angie sent another text at 6.46 p.m., but no return text from Michael at that time either. Uh Uh-oh, he's starting to ghost her. No, I think he was busy being family guy. Yes, of course he was. Mm -hmm. At 7.19 p.m., Michael called Angie from their landline and talked for seven minutes. 
At 8.42 p.m., Michael called Angie once more, and they spoke for 17 minutes. About what? Angie could not remember anything other than that Michael told her he was tired and was going to bed at 8.42 p.m. Oh, and that they talked about leaving their spouses. Of course, because that's what they talk about. Yeah, and that Jan could take him for a lot of money, and he could lose the funeral home and the divorce. That's... You know, but that's it. Absolutely true. Right. Yeah. From 9.43 p.m. till 10.08 p.m., Angie called Michael three times and left him three voicemails. She texted him one last time at 10.14. Michael never responded to any of them. In that 24-hour period from the evening on the 21st till after Jan's death on the 22nd, Michael and Angie had corresponded over 100 times. Okay, so... Were they planning her murder? Um, That's what keeps going through my head. Yes. That's what I think. I think they were both planning her murder. Absolutely they were. Because or, or he was telling her, okay, I need to be truthful with you. We're going to renew our vows. And she's like, well, then if you're going to renew your vows, then we're done. Yeah. You either get rid of her or leave her or leave her face down in the pool. Either <laughs> way, leave her. Oh, gosh. On the morning of the 23rd, Angie began calling Michael's cell phone, and her calls went straight to voicemail. She decided to drive over to the Roseboro's home and saw cars and people swarming the house. This girl was obsessed. No kidding. She drove by their house. That's so weird. The, uh. Angie decides to call the funeral home. That line was connected and ringing on Michael's home phone. Michael picked up and told Angie that Jan was dead. Angie's first thought after hearing the horrific news was, quote unquote, I don't want to be a mother to six kids. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Thanks to Angie's interview, investigators believe they now have motive and enough circumstantial evidence to charge Michael Roseboro with the murder of his wife, Jan. On August 2nd, 2008, at 1031 p.m., Michael was arrested at his home. Oh, gosh, Daniel, I almost forgot to tell you. No, I didn't. I just wanted to make it more dramatic. On August 1st, Angie told Michael that she was pregnant with his baby. And it was most definitely his because her husband had had a vasectomy. So the day before he's arrested for the murder of his wife, his mistress tells him that she is knocked up with his baby. So if you tell me you're pregnant, we know. We all know. <laughs> that I'm a big fat cheater. <laughs> that you have been seeing Michael on the side. Oh, I don't have any Somebody. time. I have no time. Unless it's Michael Scott, you know, a.k.a. Steve Carell. Yes. We, uh, no, there's no chance. There's yeah. no chance of that. Mm-mm. What shirt am I wearing right now? You're wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt. <laughs> I love you so much, Daniel. I love you. All right. That was too ooey-gooey. People don't like it when we're ooey-gooey. We're faking it's it. disgusting. The trial began in July of 2009. Michael pled not guilty to first-degree murder. The state argued that Michael murdered Jan to start a new life with Angie. He knew that if he divorced Jan, she would get half the funeral business and assets. Plus, his name would always be associated with infidelity in their small community of Denver. But everyone knew he was a big, fat cheater, his family and his friends. So what difference does that make? Um, but guess what? What? Do you remember how I told you there was lots of material under Jan's fingernails? Yes. Well, that was DNA, and it 100% matched Michael's DNA. Ugh. 
All right. But their oldest son did get on the stand and said that he had seen his mom scratching his dad's back as his dad was laying on one of the lounge chairs, that she was like sitting on him and scratching his back outside. But but that was just like light scratching. But the DNA that she had was like dug into the skin. Chunks of skin. Yeah, like chunks of skin from a face. So wouldn't he have some sort of marks on his on him? Oh well no, because it was on the face. No. Yeah. Yeah, that was on the face. No, the light scratches was like, you know, kind of sexy. Like I'm gonna scratch your back. Yeah. When really it just makes you itch and you're like, okay, can you stop? Can you stop? Michael's defense had a different theory. They told the jury that someone must have snuck into the Roseboro property and attacked Jan while she was stargazing. That happens a lot. She was beaten and drowned for her ring and watch that she had been wearing, or they think that she was wearing, which was worth an estimated $40,000. And that ring and that watch was never recovered from the scene. But CCTV footage from inside the Roseboro's bank on the day of the murder showed Jan wearing the exact same clothes and shoes that she was found in, but no ring on her finger and no watch on her wrist. So she was not wearing that that day. But my question is, where are those items? Where is that ring and where is that watch? Mm -hmm. Is it buried in the Roseboro backyard? Probably. I wonder. On July 30th, the jury headed out for deliberations. After an hour, they asked to listen to the 911 call again. Oh. The reason that this 911 call is so fascinating to most people is because he is so robotic and so monotone. There's barely any emotion. And then when he says, she's out of the pool, but then says, oh, no, I have to get her out of the pool. That right there is suspicious. Yes. And that he's not wet and that he barely did any chest compressions. hmm Yeah. A few hours later, the jury had reached a verdict. At 2.47 p.m., Michael Roseboro was found guilty of the first-degree murder of his wife, Jan. There you go. On September 25th, 2009, Michael was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Nice. So he is in jail, and he still maintains his innocence to this day. All right, I have a hard time believing that someone walked to the pool area they didn't. quietly and hopped over that kitty fence or somehow knew how to unlock the latch, which is loud. Right. It's loud when you're unlocking that latch. And that gate usually slams shut. Remember? Yes. It's like, boom. Yep. And that they would do that without making any noise and then snuck up behind a stargazing Jan and then beat her with an object that was never found and then threw her into the pool and drowned her and there's no blood evidence on the chair that she was sitting in or the concrete or the pool or anything, right? Right. All without making any noticeable noise and no blood trace. Okay, so no, it's not possible. No, it's not. Zero chance. No. Okay, so... How did she get all those wounds without any trace, though? So we see defense wounds on him. We see obvious wounds on her, but there's no trail. They can't find anything in the house or outside. Granted, it's had rained, like you said, and they got a lot of like, they've basically contaminated the crime scene. So there really isn't a crime scene that can be properly investigated. 
She had to have been murdered outside of that pool area and probably not in the house because the kids were in the house. Yeah. So it had to be somewhere outside. And then she was drugged back into that pool area and put in that pool. Right. And there's a there has to be a weapon somewhere. So what made the mm. one centimeter long gash behind the ear deep into her skull? A fire poker. Just guessing. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Something. This poor woman, you guys. And what happened this with poor the, woman was beaten. Did they ever and figure choked. out why thirty people no one called or wanted to check up on her at the hospital? No. Or that's just a weird It was just a weird thing that happened. Reaction. Yeah. It was really weird. And then he kept telling people that she had died, that she had had a heart attack and fallen in the pool. He told her sister that even after he had been told, no, this is a murder case. Wow. It's really weird. The three youngest kids were being raised by Jan's family. And the older son believes his dad's and in his dad's innocence. How? Because you say this all the time. You want to believe. Yeah. So he wants okay. to believe. And he even testified that his dad could not have done this. Okay. Knowing his dad's a big, big fat cheater, cheater Peter. So what is the alternate theory then? If he didn't do it. That she was robbed and then murdered. Murdered for that ring and that watch. That's what Michael's family believes. Seems yeah. like a lot of work to get a ring. And, and why would you take the risk? I don't what know. if you found out the ring and watch were fake? And especially all the lights. I mean, Michael said. And why are the lights off? All the lights, yeah. Now, I would say, oh, because she's stargazing, so she doesn't want the light pollution. So here's the thing. That neighbor said that it was all dark in the backyard. Right. But when paramedics arrived and everything, all those lights were back on. Because he didn't want anyone to witness what he did to her until after the fact. So how so would that- somebody who was just breaking in, how would they know how to turn off those lights, do what they want needed to do to Jan, and then turn those back on and leave with her ring and her watch? Right. That wouldn't have happened. And I don't know how they have their lights set up, but some of our lights you can turn on from inside the house. Some of them you can turn on from outside. And how would this person know how to do that? But all the landscape lighting, it's on timers. It's a separate controller. Then I wouldn't even know how to turn lights. off our landscape lighting at night. Right. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah. No, clearly, if something happened, I would have to be the mastermind totally. behind it. Totally. I wouldn't know how to do that. All right. You guys ready for a fun fact? Yes. <laughs> Am I supposed to answer for other people? Yes. You are the audience. Yes. We're all ready. Angie had Michael's son. And from what I've been able to gather, her husband stayed with her. And when asked if Michael killed Jan, Angie always answers, I don't know. But they broke up. Obviously, he went to jail. <laughs> right. But her husband stayed with her. Okay, so and raised he, the baby. He know I would be I would be out. <laughs> you'd be out. <laughs> I would I hope would you'd be out. Out of there. There's no way. I'd be like, have fun with that. <laughs> Another fun fact. Oh good. Michael's family believes that he is innocent of the murder of Jan. This is a statement from Michael's mother. Oh gosh. Okay. He had weaknesses. Stop. But he absolutely would not have chosen murder. So she's in complete elderly denial? Yes, definitely. She's one of those parents that anytime Michael did anything at school, she would always come and defend him. 
Like, my kid didn't mean to punch your kid in the face. He was just waving his arms about. About. That's one of those parents. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean... He had weaknesses? He had weaknesses with his penis. (laughs) (laughs) But they all stand by the defense's account. The Jan was robbed and then murdered. This is what they think happened. You guys need to look more into the people, information. Are people dumber than a pile of rocks? Yes. Yes. Huh. <laughs> Not our listeners, but most Not our people, listeners. Most no, because we together, all 13 of us. All 13. We can collectively come together and go, no, it's not possible. Right. It's common sense. Yes. This is common sense, people. She was not murdered for her ring and her watch. So, Daniel, what did you think of my case? Again, I don't know where the hell people come up all this time. (laughs) Yeah, on either side. (laughs) We don't even have time. We say that all the time, Daniel. I know. Everybody knows we don't have time. No, no, but no one has time. No one has time. So how do people have time to cheat? I don't know. We don't even have time to start a Patreon. And it's not like he is... (laughs) messing around with a chick who's single and has time no because he had to think about her schedule as well because she had a job and two kids and a husband yeah i don't i don't think angie had anything to do with it but i bet she knows something i bet she does too and i bet she realizes that some things that she said kind of pushed him into thinking that this was the only Thing that he could do was to murder his wife to be with Angie. I bet he said things like, God, I just, I wish I could just knock her off. Right. And she didn't say, oh my gosh, I can't, do not say that. That's right. a horrible, she didn't right. say anything. Or. She didn't discourage that. Right. Or gosh, I hope she just has a heart attack and dies since heart disease runs in her family. Would be so, yeah. I could see that for sure. So my information came from. Of course, a ton of articles. There was a fun and entertaining show called Deadly Affairs and a book that I read titled Love Her to Death by M. William Phelps. And that was a really good read. I would definitely go check that out if you're interested. Well, I gave you most of the information, but you can go read the emails and the texts and things like that from Angie and Michael. It's ridiculous. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you cringe. And if anybody talked to me like that, I would laugh my butt off. <laughs> I bet. If you sent me even one of those texts that Michael sent her, I would laugh my butt off and think you were joking. I want to get a, I want to look at them. Okay, I'll and show then, you. And then over you. the next few days, I'll just randomly start sending you stuff and see if you notice. <laughs> just send me, um, send me lyrics from Bon Jovi and Aerosmith. Just to see. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Gosh, ridiculous. Thank you for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. This was a this was a very interesting case to do for sure. I enjoyed it. Good, I'm glad. I mean, as much as you can enjoy murder, horrific murder, and yeah, and poor Jan, and our heart goes out to she and her family and her children, and just I guess be in peace, knowing that you will see her again for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and hopefully Michael gets all kinds of attention in prison. Yeah, <laughs> right rooms. Broom handles. Oh, wow. Okay. You're being very specific. <laughs> no, I, I gonna, hate this guy. I, I want to rip every hair of that stupid goatee out of his freaking face. I was just leaving it generic. to the imagination. Yeah, you could fill in the blanks. Fill in the gaps. Yeah. Be careful. 
for marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Always. Bye. Bye. Bye.